0: And please take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 9. We'll be starting at verse 13. Just a way of review. We are in the judgments that are outlined for us here in the book of Revelation. And what we'll see as this progresses is these judgments will get more and more severe. And what we've seen so far, that's a tall order, isn't it? We've seen some very severe judgments, but this is the end of all things. This is time for evil to pay the piper, to face the consequences of their evil. For those of us who have watched evil steadily increase and seemingly the perpetrators get away with it. This is where God finally visits judgment on the world for the evil that He, the long-suffering God, has not dealt with in a complete way. But here, in the book of Revelation, evil is going to be dealt with. Now, this morning as we get into this text, revelation means the unveiling. And what we're going to see is there are many things that are unveiled for us in the book of Revelation, but what we're going to see as we get into chapter 10 is there are some things that were revealed to John that he could not share with us. So I entitled the message, What Must Be Told and Can't Be Told. Now the part that must be told is what John shares with us, the revelation that we can know. What can't be told is a section of the 10th chapter where John was given a glimpse into terrible things that will happen, but he wasn't allowed to share it with us. What we as believers can take from this, though, is something very important, and that is we are told to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told to share the gospel. We are told To make sure that people know who Jesus is and how they can have a personal relationship with God through Him. So as we go through these judgments, I want you to think about the terrible judgment that awaits this world and to remember that we have the words of truth, the words of life that can deliver people from that judgment. It's vital that we share the gospel with those around us in light of that truth. Now as we come to the ninth chapter, we have been going through a series of trumpets. We've looked at the first five trumpets, and let's review for a moment. The Word of God talks about a scroll that had seven seals. Six of the seals were opened, and then at the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets And each one of these trumpets announces a new judgment. Each one of the seals announced a new judgment. So as we come to this passage here in chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, we find the sixth trumpet, something else to bear in mind, right at the conclusion of these trumpets, the Woe, after the fourth trumpet, we find in verse 13, shares this with us. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. As we come to the 13th verse... We've already covered one of those woes. There are three of them, and they correspond to the last three trumpets. The fifth trumpet was that judgment, that woe of the locusts. As we come to this sixth trumpet blast, what we find the Word of God share with us is something that is terrible. And let me just warn you, as we get into this text, there are some weird things described in this text if we take them at face value. Now, remember, the book of Revelation is written in a type of language that uses descriptive terms to share with us truths that are actual and literal. We can't take these descriptive terms and try to paint a picture with them. And we're reminded of that as we look through many of the descriptions. We see the word like as a reminder that these are only pictures of something else. So with that in mind, let's look at this part of the passage. We're going to see, first of all, in verses 13 through 15, the release of four destructive angels who have been bound. Look at what it says with me at the 13th verse the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Now, we're going to pause here for a moment and try and glean some understanding about what's going on. In the throne room of God, there is a temple, and this temple has an altar right before the throne of God. And just as the altar in the earthly temple had horns that came up from the altar. So that was a copy of the heavenly altar that is mentioned for us in this text. And what we find as we look at this passage in the book of Revelation, the 13th verse, is this. This altar before the throne of God has an angel who speaks from this altar. And then he goes on to say this, Verse 13, or 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So here's a command. The angel is telling the other angel to blow the trumpet, and then the one that blows the trumpet tells four fallen angels, I believe, demons, that are bound at the river Euphrates. What this is picturing for us is, I believe, a woe well that's going to be visited on the earth that has, as we saw in the fifth trumpet, a demonic leader that will oversee torment and destruction on the earth. Now, we know that the four angels that are described as the ones who will be unleashed and bring destruction are not heavenly angels because they're described as having been bound. And when we look in the Scripture, never is a heavenly angel described as one who has been bound. Those angels that are bound are the ones who have rebelled against God. In fact, Jude describes this. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority... But left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this idea of being bound describes fallen angels. Angels who have been bound by God, these are demons that seek to bring destruction and harm to the world. They have been restrained until this day. When that sixth trumpet sounds, those angels are released to do their worst. This is a terrible judgment on man. You know, for many of us, we don't think about the spiritual battles that go on. They're an unseen part of this world. There are angels and demons that are as real as you and I. Although we can't see them, they have influences on this world, and the Scripture speaks of those influences in many, many places, in both Testaments, the Old and the New Testaments. Sometimes in our society, because We are more secularized, and we look at just what we can see and measure, and we judge existence by only what we can see or measure. But the Word of God shares with us that there is another realm, and it's a spiritual realm. And that spiritual realm has demonic forces that are seeking to do evil, but are withheld by the power of God. And so, what happens here is these four angels who are, again, fallen angels that have been bound are at the great river Euphrates. Now, those of you who are geography specialists, what country is around the Euphrates? Iraq and Iran, right along there, right? So, what the Scripture is telling us is these have been bound in those regions, and what we see very often with demons in the Scripture is there there seem to be regional powers that they have. They're assigned a a general area. And so what will happen is this this terrible demon will be unleashed, this demon that has been waiting for thousands of years, the four of them, to, to do their worst to the world. They will finally be released to do so. And then the text goes on. And it says in the 15th verse So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, now look at this, were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, earlier, when we saw the demons that were compared to locusts with the fifth trumpet, they were released to do harm to the world but they could not take life, there was a restraint put upon them as far as taking life. They could torment, but not kill. What we find here with this sixth trumpet is the ability to actually take life, one-third of the world population. Now, when you add up all of the judgments that have taken life so far, Basically, about a half of the world's population after this one is done will be wiped out. That's amazing, isn't it? Think of this room. I won't pick which side survives, (laughs) but one side survives, the other side is gone. Think of the upheaval. Think of the grief. Think of the fear. That will come as a result of these judgments. But then it goes on, and notice the 16th verse. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Now, in the Greek language, 10,000 is about as far as they get. So what it's talking about is 10,000 times 10,000. That would be what? 100 million. Two times 100 million would be? 200 million, excellent. I knew you had math skills. 200 million is what's described as a force that will come against the earth. And then we come into the really weird part of this passage. Not that it hasn't been weird so far, but look at verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Now, I read so many commentaries that tried to talk about the significance of the colors and the significance of the animals and all of that stuff, and they were so imaginative that I'm just going to be honest with you and say, I have no idea exactly what this is describing. There were some who took the number 200, 000, or 200 million, and because a few years ago the Chinese government said that they could raise an army of 200 million, they said, ah, see, prophecy being fulfilled. We have to be careful about those things because understand the dynamics. One half of the world population has been wiped out. Even though somebody in China says, I can raise an army of 200 million, it happens to match a number that's given in the Bible that doesn't necessarily mean that biblical prophecy was fulfilled in his statement. What I believe is this is, just as the locusts were, a demonic force. I believe they have been restrained. And when these four leading angels are released to do harm to the world... They are accompanied by 200 million demons that will also bring terrible, terrible judgment on the world. This will be a time of great tribulation that has not gone on in the world before. When we look at the text, it goes on to talk about the terrible things that these beings do. And it shares with us that they had the heads of their horses were like lion's heads. And, and notice again the word like. Fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And then look at the 18th verse. By these three plagues, a third of mankind were killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. Now, that to me sounds like the work of spiritual forces rather than human forces. These plagues that are brought by these terrible beings. It goes on to describe the horses in verse 19, and it says this, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Now, I was supposed to earlier, by the way, when I hit the 16th verse, flash that slide. So you have to see the next R word is ruination, right? I worked hard to come up with that word. I don't want to skip it. (laughs) But what we see here, we can't dogmatically say what these things are, but I think we come away with the general understanding that bad things are going to happen. And they're going to be unleashed on this world. And this world is going to face terrible judgment because of their sin. But that brings us to the passage that we read during the Scripture reading this morning, and an amazing scenario where here is humanity. They are seeing plague after plague, judgment after judgment, life is terrible. But their response to the judgment of God is going deeper into rebellion rather than responding to God. Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, now look at this, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worship of demons and idols of gold, and silver, and bronze, and stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. You would think that after all of these terrible judgments, people would turn to God. Even in our own lifetime, haven't we seen that when a terrible calamity hits our nation, people Somewhat, at least, give lip service to turning to God. Remember, after nine eleven, on the steps of the Capitol, our governmental leaders came together and sang "God Bless America." There was at least some sort of assent to God. During this time, there will not be any acknowledgment of God whatsoever. In fact, what they will insist upon doing is going deeper into their rebellion. They will basically say, you know what, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing and even though people all around me have died, I'm not going to repent of the works of my hands. Now, works of my hands can mean one of two things. In the Scripture, often it speaks of the evil that people do as the works of their hands, and it shares with us that they do evil because they can do evil. It's in their hand, in their power to do so. This could be what's being described, or it could be a statement about what follows, the idols. During this time, people will rush deeper and deeper into idolatry. They will turn to their idols rather than God. They will refuse to repent of these things. What does it mean to repent? To change direction. Rather than moving toward these false gods, these demons, these idols, they will run to them even further, going deeper and deeper into it. Their hearts will become harder and harder rather than being softened by these judgments. Look at what the next verse says. Verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries, their sexual immorality or their thefts. They went deeper into their sin rather than turning to God. This is very much like what we see in the Old Testament when Pharaoh and Egypt faced the terrible plagues that God had brought upon them in judgment. What did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart. He stood stronger for those things for which he was judged. That is the heart of man when he doesn't turn to God, when he doesn't respond to God. And here's what we find. When we refuse to repent, it becomes harder and harder to do so. We become dug in. We decide this is the path I will follow and I will not change from this path. And when we do that, our hardened hearts turn us further and further away from God. This is why the Scripture shares with us the importance of responding to God while there is time. I have no guarantee later that my heart will be softer. In fact, what we find in Scripture is, every indication is, my heart will be harder then than it is now if I spurn the truth of God. So our responsibility as people is to respond to God, to repent, to change our mind about the path that we've been following. These people refuse to do so. They prefer demons to God. When we look at some cultures, although it's inconceivable for us, demons are actually worshipped. They're represented in hideous figures. And people bow down to them and worship them. In fact, the figures that were described in this text with the lion's heads and the snake tails... That's pretty much in keeping with the depictions that people have of demons, and they worship them. Man will refuse to repent. But then we come to the 10th chapter. And what we find in the 10th chapter is this, revelation that can't be shared and revelation that must be shared. When we come to the first seven verses, we find that we need to rely on the mystery of God being fulfilled. Look at what it says in these first seven verses. Then I saw another mighty angel coming from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire, and he had a scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders had said, and do not write it down. Now, we're going to pause there at the fourth verse, and let's unpack what's going on here. John has an interlude in the progression of the trumpets being sounded. And this is something we've seen in the book of Revelation. We see... Judgments being rolled out, and then an interlude, and then more judgments and an interlude, and that's what's going to happen here. This interlude talks about a vision that John had where he saw an angel who was wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire and one on land, one on sea. What's being communicated? Many Bible teachers believe that this is symbolic and it's representing an angel that has power over the earth to share truth. And what happens as he begins to speak is these seven thunders sound. Now, every time we've seen thunder in the book of Revelation, it pictures the idea of a coming storm. And so what John seems to be indicating here is, again, these judgments, heavenly judgments that will come from God are going to bring this further storm of judgments that will be revealed. But then something unusual happens. When he hears these seven thunders, and apparently they spoke words that were intelligible, John says, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the seven thunders, what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. There are some things in Scripture that we are allowed to know, and there are some things in Scripture that are hidden. And we see precedent for this in other passages of Scripture. Sometimes prophets were allowed to share what they heard from God, and sometimes God would tell them to seal it up. What we find in this text as we look at these seven thunders is John was instructed not to share what's going on. Many people believe that the things that that, that they share are, are just hidden and kept from us, and God will. Unleash them and unveil them at a later time. The Apostle Paul shared this when he wrote to the Corinthian church. I know a man, and by the way, that man was him. I know that this man was caught up into paradise... Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. There are some things that God has for us to understand and to know, and there are some things that God veils from us. And this is what John is bringing out in this text. What he's sharing with us is the truths of the book of Revelation share many things with us, but it doesn't share everything with us. And this part was sealed up, kept quiet, but it's going to come to pass. Then, look at verse 5, "...and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that the days of the trumpet call to the sound of the seventh angel, the mystery of God, will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets." Now, what he's saying there is this. Look, here's what I can let you know. I can't let you know what the seven thunders said, but I can let you know this. There's no more delay. These judgments are going to continue to unfold until completion. So prepare yourself. That's what John is sharing. These are frightening judgments that will come upon the world, but... What is truly amazing about this is while the world is reeling from all of this, the prophets are looking and they are saying, thousands of years ago we made these prophecies and now we see these prophecies unfolding right before our eyes. We see the purpose and the plan of God being accomplished, you know, God's Word is sure. God's Word is true. And that's what this passage of Scripture is saying, that we can count on the fulfillment of all that God says. Final part of the passage. There were things that John is required to speak. Notice the eighth verse. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is in the hand of the angel who is standing on sea and on land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will, be, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Now, again, we look at this and from our culture we're saying, What in the world is he talking about eating a scroll? I mean, this is really hard for us to understand, but what we find as we look culturally in time prior to John and during probably John's day, the idea of taking the Word of God or the truth and eating it just carries with it the idea of taking it into our lives and thinking about meditating about its meaning. Other prophets spoke of eating the Word of God. For instance, Jeremiah said this, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So here is Jeremiah talking about eating the Word, and we know that he's not literally going over and finding a Torah and munching on it. Okay, What we do know he means is, I took it into myself, and I meditated on it, and I thought about it. It's a figure of speech, if you will. Ezekiel, very much the same thing. He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So what Jeremiah is talking about and... What Ezekiel is talking about is taking the Word of God into us, and then in both cases, both prophets had the responsibility, once they had eaten it, of sharing it. Now, what about the part where it talks about being sweet as honey in our mouth, but bitter in our stomach? I believe that the Word of God, especially in these passages that talk about such judgment, it is a sweet thing to get the Word of God, but it is a bitter thing to see the terrible havoc and calamity that's going to be visited upon the world. It's a bittersweet reception of God's truth. And probably some of you are feeling that today as well, aren't you? As you're sitting there in the pew, you think, man, it's good to hear the Word of God, but wow, this is some heavy, horrible, judgments that they're going to be visited upon this world. And I don't understand everything that's being articulated in this, but I do know this, horrible things are coming on this world. By the way, the reason I am careful not to try and take current events and shoehorn them in to the prophecy that we find in the book of Revelation is because... I've been studying prophecy since I was probably 12 years old, so I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but for 50 years, (laughs) I've been listening to messages about prophecy, and I was in a church that was very concerned about prophecy, and you know what I found? A lot of the things that they took and they shoehorned into the book of Revelation were just patently wrong. So we have to be careful. We can't look at these things and say, ha, ha, I figured it out. We get the general flow, the general direction of where these things are going, but that's about the best we can do. So be careful about taking what people shoehorn into these passages and running with it. I've seen people do that and they become very embarrassed. And my concern is when we do that as believers, it reduces the credibility of Scripture So we have to be careful about that. But what we do find is this. There are these things in the book of Revelation that we are to take into us, we're to meditate on, and yes, even share these things, just as John did. And what we find as we look at this, verse 10 goes on to say this. "'I took the little scroll "'from the hand of the angel who ate it. "'It was sweet in my mouth, "'but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter.'" And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Now, my, many Bible teachers believe that what verse 11 is talking about is the, the balance of the judgment section of the book of Revelation, the, the 11th chapter through the 19th chapter. That is what John will prophesy about following what happened when he ate the scroll. Okay? Okay? Now, when we look at this text, the responsibility of John was to share the message that God had given him. And you know, as I pondered this, I think about our responsibility. We've been given a message to. Now, our message is different from John's. Our message is a message of hope, of forgiveness, of grace, of salvation. We have been commissioned by God to eat the gospel, to take it into ourselves, to have it as a part of who we are. But then, just as Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and now John spoke, prophesied, shared, after they received these truths from God, we have that same responsibility. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a commission, and that commission is this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our message. That's what we're to share. Have you taken the gospel into your life? Good. Now, what do you do with it? We must share it. These terrible judgments potentially await our neighbors, co-workers, family members, any number of those who are around us, these terrible judgments will unfold. We have the words of life, the words of deliverance, the words of hope. We have no guarantee as to how long we will have that opportunity to share these things. But let me encourage you this morning, share them. Because there's a terrible time of judgment that is coming upon the world, and they need to hear the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the call to all of us to share the truth of Your gospel. Lord God, let us be people who are faithful to that call. Let us be people who share Your truth with our loved ones, and even with our enemies, Lord. They need to hear. And Father, I pray this morning that if there is one who has been hardening their heart toward you, that today their heart would soften, that they would see the importance of responding to the gospel while they can. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.